0: Hey everyone, my name is Jonathan Brooke and this is Eyes Only. Crammed in the tight cockpit of the ox cart, Dennis Sullivan looks like an astronaut. He is wearing a refrigerated spacesuit to keep him cool. The reason for that is because the inside of his plane is about 500 degrees. He is 84,000 feet over North Vietnam and racing for his life. Traveling over Mach 3 faster than a rifle bullet, he has the ox cart laid open, going 41 miles a minute. Locked onto him and chasing him are four surface-to-air missiles. They are seconds behind him. Another missile had flown past him earlier, missing his plane by just 200 meters. He had seen it go by. In the rear periscope, he can see the contrails of the missiles chasing him. The outside of his aircraft is reaching temperatures exceeding 1,000 degrees. Behind him, there's an explosion. The missiles blow up. He outran all of them. They couldn't keep up. This isn't some mission gone wrong. He is flying the course he is supposed to. As he travels at Mach 3 in the belly of the plane, cameras record over a mile of film, exposing the enemy's secrets below. The footage is not blurry or grainy. It is clear and in focus. Exactly what is needed to stop so many pilots from falling out of the sky. Returning to base in Japan, Sullivan lands. The plane sits on the tarmac for quite a while because it has to cool off. Its titanium skin is too hot to touch. Lodged in his wing, shrapnel from the missiles just barely missed striking his fuel tank. Sitting in the harbor overlooking the airfield is a Russian fishing trawler. Inside of it, Russian agents watch the flights and alert the North Vietnamese when the ox cart is headed their way. Even with this kind of notice, they still couldn't shoot it down. The Russians knew the ox cart was there and the U.S. knew the Russians were watching. At the end of the day, the plane was good enough, it didn't matter. The oxcart had proven its capabilities The intelligence it gave reduced the number of pilots being lost significantly. That awful 9-to-1 statistic was no longer the reality. For the Oxcart pilots, it's personal. Almost all of them have been in the same position as those who are fighting the war below. At Mach 3 and 85,000 feet, they are relatively safe, but they know what it feels like to be down there and in the fight. What we didn't know until recently, though was that the oxcar and its pilots were fighting to hold back the tides of another conflict, one that had the potential to kill millions. There is a number that bears a lot of weight, 58,220. That number is the official count of how many American soldiers lost their lives during the Vietnam War. The overall number of lives lost by the end of it is in the millions. It is a conflict that is mired in tragic loss, loss that would drive a wedge between people at home and abroad. What we didn't know until 2007 is that in 1968, right in the middle of the Vietnam War, the U.S. was drawing up plans for a full land invasion of North Korea. Perhaps not because they wanted to, but more likely they felt like they had no choice. The North Koreans had seized a U.S. warship in international waters capturing, torturing, and imprisoning its 82 crew members, killing one of them in the process. Thousands of classified documents fell into enemy hands along with one of the most important and secret code-breaking ciphers the NSA had at the time. It is an act of war, and if that was not enough, hours before this, a North Korean unit failed at an assassination attempt of the U.S.-backed South Korean president. All signs indicated that North Korea was gearing up for a major offensive attack. The fate of US backed South Korea was of severe concern. If the US wanted to avoid a war, they were losing grasp of the situation. There is a detail that makes the situation even more volatile. The US never won the Korean War that happened just over a decade before this. There was no resolution, no clear winner, just a ceasefire. A ceasefire that still stands to this day. It's complicated, but essentially on paper the war never ended. And North Korea in nineteen sixty eight had just broke that ceasefire. In the National Security Archive, a brief classified under electronic briefing number four hundred thirty five shed some light on what was going on behind the scenes. Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara was laying out plans to drop 15,000 pounds of bombs on mainland North Korea in preparation for a full-ground assault. In a shocking escalation, the use of nuclear weapons were being discussed. Operation Freedom Drop, a benign-sounding name for an operation that was anything but mild in nature. There is a document originally labeled Top Secret, It is a memorandum from the Joint Chief of Staff. Today it has another stamp, one that says downgraded to unclassified. It lays out the details of Operation Freedom Drop. The U.S. plan to drop multiple tactical nuclear weapons on North Korea. The plans were finalized, the equipment readied. Commander of the Pacific Fleet, Ulysses Sharp, had put everything in motion and awaited approval from the executive branch. All these kinds of actions would require a call-up of the reserves, even levels of withdrawal from Vietnam to focus forces on North Korea. The U.S. was barely in full steam down a path that would end in destruction. Stretched thin and barely able to handle the losses they were already experiencing, they needed another option. That's when CIA Director Richard Helms made a suggestion. Let the ox cart do what it was built to do. If they could find the prisoners and locate the stolen ship, if they could get eyes on what kind of troop buildup North Korea was doing, they could know exactly how they needed to react. The Oxcart pilots were currently operating under a program named Black Shield over Vietnam. It was as classified as it comes. Even more classified orders were going to come down. Not all the ox cart pilots would get them. An operation inside of an operation was about to begin. A select few pilots would fly north to find out what was going on. The ox cart took three passes over the nation of North Korea. Traveling at a speed of 3.19 Mach, it never even registered on radar. It's a good thing. Somewhere below, 82 U.S. soldiers were being interrogated, tortured, and even put through mock executions. At one point, they were forced to reenact their own capture for a live audience. Jack Weeks, a Lockheed pilot by name but secretly an agent of the CIA, was in the cockpit that day. And if things went wrong, that would be his fate as well. Within four hours, Weeks had found the USS Pueblo's location. The cameras on the Oxcart laid bare the military situation and buildup going on in North Korea. Weeks had armed the US with the tools it needed and he headed home. It might seem anticlimactic for how dangerous the situation was becoming, yet that was the beauty of the Oxcart. It did its job well, and when the footage was developed, it showed in clear focus exactly what the US was up against. There wasn't a massive buildup of forces. The Johnson administration saw a window of opportunity to de-escalate and focus on getting their men back. They had photographic proof that the USS Pueblo had been captured and they could use it against Pyongyang. Jack Weeks had done his job and not even he could have understood the consequences of his actions. Such is the nature of being a CIA pilot. Even the men risking their lives to gather intel don't always know what they're putting themselves on the line for. In the case of the Oxcart missions, not even your family would know the truth about what happened to you if anything went wrong. On June 5, 1968, an assassin shot Bobby Kennedy, JFK's brother, with a 22 revolver. Bobby would die from his injuries 26 hours later. The news of the shooting made headlines around the world. On the other side of the world, at the Hilton Hotel in Tokyo, Japan, Ken Collins and Dan Sullivan were spending the evening. They had just returned from Area 51 and were back to continue their missions over Vietnam. In the middle of eating dinner, an announcement came over the radio. The unsettling news of the assassination. Collins, stunned by what he was hearing, got up from the table and made his way downstairs to find a newspaper. Standing there that summer night, Collins noticed a small headline on the bottom of the paper. It read, high-altitude crash of a U.S. Air Force airplane. The headline was a lie. Collins knew what it meant. The next day, an agency driver picked him up from the hotel. The driver turned around to face Collins and told him, we lost an airplane. Collins looked at him and responded, we lost a pilot. An SR-71 Blackbird flew over the South China Sea. The new plane had just arrived on the scene, the Air Force now had their own fleet of supersonic spy planes. The Blackbird was just slightly slower than the ox cart, yet it could carry two people, and it was about to steal the show. It was less classified and would be used for the next 30 plus years. It was set to become the main spy plane that would replace the ox cart. That day over the ocean, it was looking for an ox cart. Like searching the ocean for a drop of water, its pilots were searching for a yellow life raft, the kind that would be deployed when a plane crash lands on water. Somewhere out there, in the vast expanse of blue, was Jack Weeks. Dead or alive, no one knew. His plane went down. No one knew why. He was just gone. Due to the small size and close proximity of the Black Shield pilots, no one was taking his loss easily. Collins had come to consider Jack a close friend. Similar to his friend Chuck Parkerson during the Korean War, it certainly appeared like the ocean had taken another one of his friends from him. It was especially hard for Collins because he was supposed to be flying that plane that day. They had switched shifts. Jack Weeks disappeared. His body or the plane were never found. Due to the high level of classification, the official report never mentioned the ox cart. It named a different plane as the one that crashed. Jack Weeks' affiliation with the CIA would be undisclosed for decades. Internal commemorations would be given to him in his service to his country. The reality is that a lot more than just America benefited from the risk he took. I say that because his mission over Korea used no weapons, but it managed to stop the worst ones from possibly being unleashed yet again. There is a website run for Jack Weeks by his family, and it's dedicated to telling his story now that it can finally be told. There is a name for the program that the Oxcart was part of. An overarching program that built the majority of the high-altitude spy planes that the U.S. deployed. That program's name is Archangel. Perhaps one of the best examples of the meaning behind that name can be found during the Vietnam War. During bombing raids, these planes would fly high up above the fight going on below. They were capable of jamming radar signals and would do that to protect the pilots below. As it stands, 1,842 POWs from Vietnam are still missing, unaccounted for, never returned to their families, dead or alive. So many attempts to find them happened even after the end of the war. Special Forces teams, upon retiring and now civilians, would privately fund missions to Vietnam to try to locate their captured friends and fellow soldiers. The number they were looking for? Would have been much higher without programs like archangel war is war no one expects it to be bearable but there are rules while the u.s violated many the treatment of captured american soldiers was a major violation of more than one code of conduct the blackbird would be used to communicate to captured prisoners held in the largest north vietnamese prison nicknamed the hanoi hilton during a major rescue attempt two blackbirds created sonic booms above the prison as a signal to the captives that Navy SEALs were waiting just outside of enemy territory to assist them if they could make it there. This is a tactic that would continue for as long as the blackbird was in flight. It would fly over dictators' homes, causing sonic booms to show them that the U.S. was there and there was nothing they could do about it. The shockwave from a sonic boom created from these aircraft was strong enough to do damage to what was below it. At one time, a pilot flying over West Virginia had to restart his engine. The sonic boom that happened broke the chimney of a factory below, crushing two workers and killing them. Situations like this caused certain rules to be applied to how these planes flew. They were not allowed to fly over urban centers, bridges, and dams for safety reasons. They were also restricted from flying over Indian burial sites out of respect. There is some level of irony that a stealth spy plane would also shake the earth when it flew. The ox cart was the first one, and it would be retired after a short lifespan. It proved what was capable, and it is still the fastest and highest flying plane that we know of. The SR-71 Blackbird would take the reins. Oxcart pilots would find themselves flying them for decades. Ken Collins was picked to fly the Blackbird early on. The funny thing is the Oxcart was so classified that Blackbird pilots had no idea it existed. To them, the Blackbird was the first supersonic plane. That is why it confused a lot of people when Ken Collins was immediately an expert pilot on his first day. They couldn't figure out how he knew how to perfectly fly a plane that was brand new. The Blackbird would fly until it was retired in 1998. The legacy of both the Oxcart and the Blackbird can be summed up in one statement. Not a single one ever was shot down. Nothing could touch them. All this leads me to a question, one that I don't have the answer to. If this is the technology that the US had in the 1960s, what do they have now?